Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. The podcast where we don't want to tell you what to think. We just want to encourage you to do it. We are three friends that came from across the political spectrum who were tired of partisan politics and were alarmed at what we saw happening in our country, including the growing political divide. But we found as we challenged ourselves to recognize our own biases, to put them aside, we were absolutely united in our pursuit for the truth. And that's why we started this podcast to share the conversations we were having around that pursuit and to invite you into our conversation. To encourage you to feel free to ask questions. Search for the answers yourself to say what you think. That's right, because as we like to say, diversity of thought, ideas, and beliefs are welcome here. Asshats are not. (laughs) (laughs) All are welcome as long as you just think. another episode. This is Holly and Amy and Kristen and we are so excited today to be joined by one of our new friends, someone that we met just as a result of this podcast and the word really getting out there about what's been going on and then this format where we try to every week have a conversation that you can be a part of. Of course you're listening in but we want to hear from you too but a conversation that kind of gets you up to speed on what's actually happening, perhaps that's not in mainstream media that you're not hearing about on every street corner. We want to tell you what we know to be true. Now, we were talking about this before we started rolling and before we started recording. We may get it wrong sometimes. If we do, you can rest assured, we have no pride about that. We will come and tell you, we got this wrong. But what we've been telling you since what, June, May or June of this last year is we have tried really hard to stick to personal experiences and data and facts that, you know, can stand. We really do believe, we posted about it on our, on our um, Instagram this week, that the truth is the truth and it does not have to be defended. It'll defend itself like a lion. And so... On that note today, we have with us Brent Tindall, and he is going to share his professional and personal experience and tell us more. We're just going to chat with him because we find him fascinating to just chat with anyway. We think that this podcast episode will empower you to know more and hopefully encourage you to speak up more. So with that, Brent, would you tell our listeners how you found us? Yeah, I certainly will. So, hey, my name is Brent Tindall. I'm a pharmacist. Um, kind of stumbled across you guys through uh, one of Morgan Wallace's patients. Um, Morgan is a PA in Wilmington that um, I discovered was very vocal and very open about ivermectin. And that was the, the short of it is that I sent some folks to her and she came back and said, hey, check out this podcast. And so I did. And the rest is history. So I connected with you guys and I felt like, you know, there was, uh, you guys had some ideas and, and you certainly dig a lot deeper than I have ever dug. And uh, I'm <laughs> thankful for that, that there are other people out there that'll do the digging and I can just go, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, did, 
I did hear, I'm sorry, Brad, I would say this really quickly. I did hear on um, a podcast this week, um, which I'm going to plug really quickly. Majid Nawaz, who was on um, Joe Rogan this week, go listen. That episode is gold. If I can make it listening, I've told my boys it's mandatory listening for them. Um, But I'm going to tell you right now what's so good about something that he said. He said the average American doesn't have time to dig. The average person doesn't have time to dig through the lies and the BS, right? They don't have time to really research. And we tell people all the time, like, do your own research, think for yourself, you know, but the truth is we don't have, we didn't really have the time either. I think COVID, the the lockdown gave us the time and now we can't stop. Now we are 24 seven, you know, we're running our businesses, running our families and in our homes, but this is all we do <laughs> is we try to we're find making the, it, so, we're making the time and, and a little less sleep. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> a little less Netflix binge watching, right? Like right. this is where we spend our free time now. So to that point, I just want to say, Brent, you're not alone. And we hope that this podcast and those like them serve to sort of bring a little and something you can multitask and listen to and, and learn something. Right. So, okay. Sorry. So go ahead. No, you're good. I absolutely agree. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of a surface skimmer with an occasional deep dive, but you know, <laughs> I, like was, I didn't have the, the time to really go deep on some things. And every now and then I would chase a rabbit and I am very bad about that. I'll, I'll find something that, oh God, what is this? And then I'm gone, you know, and my wife goes, what are you doing? And I said, like, I'm finding all this out. And she goes, stop it, you know? And so it's just, you know, it, it snowballs when you start learning and you start seeing things. And you and I've been um, a question asker forever. Uh, you know, I went to, um, I'll give you a little bit more about me. I am, uh, first and foremost, I am a Christian. And I believe that a lot of these things are so entangled that there are so many things that connect all of these issues. And I think Christianity is one of those things. Um, but uh, that aside, I am also, like I said, I'm a pharmacist. I graduated from the University of North Carolina in 1993. Um, and my wife is a nurse practitioner and we've got kids. Um, we have lived the COVID experience. Uh, I've lost a mother, uh, to the COVID experience. Um, I've learned, I mean, I've, I've faced the, uh, the isolation um, of not being able to see her in the hospital. I mean, so I've, I've experienced all of these things. And even through all of that, we were still asking questions. I was asking questions back in 2004. I was a, a CBS guy for a long time. And really when I got out of college, you know, you don't, you don't know what you're doing. You know, you have, you're armed with this knowledge and you're trying to figure out how to, uh, to make it work and make it work for you and how to fit in your place in, in, in the professional world. And I knew that at, at, at the very minimum, I was somebody who just loved people, you know, and I wanted to have somebody encounter me and come away from that encounter in a better place than they were when they met me, you know, and that's, and I still try to do that regardless of whether it's medicine or, or whatever it is. And so that was my baseline. And I left CVS after a long time and I found independent pharmacy, which opened the door to some new things. I actually had my own pharmacy for a short period of time. And I quickly realized that was not for me, but what it did do was introduce me to the world of the pharmaceutical companies and sort of to the game that I feel, and this is my opinion, that's being played um, with healthcare and how we're all sort of pawns uh, in this game. And so that's where the questions began was way back in like 2005. I saw some things that 
you know, I looked and I go, why are they doing that? Or why is this happening? Or why is this drug being taken off the market only to be put back on the market six months later, you know, with a different, uh, different name and charging a lot more money, you know, and there were things Ooh. like, that, you know, Ooh. just kind of, <laughs> y'all should see Holly's face. You'd be like, "Woo!" What I'm like, that? "This is a hole I want to go down." Right? We ain't gonna speed past that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, back up!" Okay, so just just to be clear, so in 2004, 2005-ish at CVS, the pharmacy, probably most of us in North Carolina, that or Walgreens, where you're gonna pick up your drugs, right? Yeah. So, so you're you're working there, and you're seeing things like drug recalls, but then six months later putting that drug back on market with a different name, charging more money. And you're like, that's weird. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, don't even get me started on drug recalls. I mean, I got FDA data on the number of drug recalls that happen annually and, and it, it would blow your mind, but yeah, let's go. So I'll, I'll roll back to like 2006. And I remember a drug specifically, it was called colchicine. It was a drug that was used for uh, gout and, you, I mean, at that particular time in, in the pharmacy that I was that I owned and I was working in, you could buy a bottle of a thousand colchicine for about $23. And I remember that specifically. Um, it got taken off the market because of an issue with the drug application. And, you know, there were all these sort of legal issues surrounding it that it wasn't properly introduced to the market. So there was a lot of red tape and a lot of, you know, bureaucracy that influenced that. So anyway, it got pulled off the market, got put back on the market several months to a year later under a different name and the price for 30 was several hundred dollars and it's the same drug and now it's come back down you know after it's been on the you know market and the patent life has expired on the brand name the generic is back it's still you know to buy a bottle of 30 now is is, is still close to what it would have cost you for a thousand of those you know 20 years ago um so it's just, a, it's, it's crazy the things you see. And, and my catchphrase for the last, gosh, the last two years has been, this is crazy, you know? <laughs> that's pretty much, that's it. This is crazy. Like, what are we doing, you know? <laughs> oh, um, and then the FDA. So I want you to speak on that because I think the average American, I remember, okay, here's an example. So Kristen, Amy, and I all work in the skincare industry and- <laughs> A question we would get asked by people sometimes, is it FDA approved, right? And that yeah. it, but you become very aware that Americans are very trained, perhaps even indoctrinated to believe if the FDA has put their stamp of approval on it, then it's safe. It's gone through all the testing it's supposed to go through. It can't harm me. But you and I know, Brett, only and only reason I know is the deep dives. Kristen named me know because we've done the deep dive. Talk to us about the FDA approval process and drug recalls and those kinds of things, because I think the average American is clueless about it. Well, and then, and I may not, you know, the approval process, um, you know, there's, if you're talking about introducing a drug to the market, um, you know, there's a lot of money they tie up in development, research, testing, and that kind of thing. The, you know, the, the patent life for a prescription medication is roughly 20 years. And 10 years of that on the average is kind of sewn up in, and people in fact check me on this by all means, I'll be happy to, but I do know that there's a portion of that time that is sewn up in just testing and that's where they are investing the money. The rest of that time is where they're making the money. And it's not just a little bit of money, it's a lot of money. Um, you know, in the approval process, you know, I have my opinions 
about how things get to market. And I think if you, if we step back and look at government, uh, CDC, FDA, all of these entities collectively, and we look at what's going on now that we're seeing and the divisiveness and the things that are hidden, um, the things that make you scratch your head and go, why are we doing this? And, and, and even as it relates to COVID and, the, and, and this shot that I refuse to call a vaccine, um, this shot that people are taking, you know, all this should make you go, okay, we've been conditioned and you're right. I think we have been slowly sort of, and, and we want to find trust in something. We want there to be a governing body that we can go, yeah, these folks know what's going on. They're on the cutting edge. They're looking at the things they're, uh, they're assessing risks, they're assessing benefit and they're making choices for our health. And that's what we want to believe and they know that we want to believe that. <laughs> <laughs> which gives them power, which, which ultimately gives them power because if you do have the trust and the blind trust, let's say, because let's be honest, we're not scientists. I mean, I'm not, Amy's not, Chris is not. We don't have time to go research every drug and look at all the testing and all the data. There always has to be an experts, trusted experts who can do that for us that we can rely on at some point, And maybe that was the intention at some point of having these regulatory agencies. But when industry got so big and then crawled in bed with it, go look it up for yourself. CDC, FDA, go look at where the people who sit on these committees now, look where they've worked. Look where they go to work when they're done. Go, you can see it all for yourself. They are so intertwined that now they've lost any sense, or it appears they've lost the sense of accountability and they no longer make decisions that are not based on the financial gain. And the, the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that love of money is now, it appears motivating these people with the FDA, the CDC, to make their choices. I mean, when you have the head of the CDC passing a vaccine for children, when her own committee voted 13 to one against it, we're, what's going on? Red flag, red flag. Well, and also, you know, they Samuel Scarpino, this was in that um, article recently, and we'll shut up in a minute, Brent, because you have a lot to say, but, you know, we have to add our stuff. But um, I don't know if y'all seen about the CDC hiding some information. Shocking. Um, speaking of trust, blind trust, yeah. these agencies that we are putting our faith in. Um, but they said in this article, Samuel Scarpino, who's the managing director of the pathogen surveillance um, at Rockefeller Foundation, admitted the CDC is a political organization as much as it is a public health organization. The steps that it takes to get something like this released are often well outside of control of many of the scientists that work at the CDC. So, I mean, they're admitting it's more than just public health, it's political, okay? So, yeah. And that was a New York Times article, by the way, everybody. So this is the, the liberal New York Times reporting on the holding back of information about the CDC and the fact that it has now become political, so. Okay, Brett, back to you though. So you saw with FDA, I know you were sharing with Kristen something that I wanted you to talk about. Kristen, do you remember this? It was something about the drug recall reports. Oh yeah, well you were talking about the drug recalls and about like what's an average, you said like even every day and then annually, cause you were saying, you, you mentioned already here that it would blow our mind, but what just on average? Yeah, so I, I, I just wanted to make sure I was telling you guys accurately. So I'll just give you my personal experience is that 
you know, in a pharmacy setting, we get drug recalls every day. So we'll get, I'll get uh, anywhere from, you know, one to six to eight drug recalls almost every day. Um, and it's for various and sundry reasons. It's not always because it's killing people. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It could be that something was done incorrectly with the labeling. It could be, but it's, you know, still drug recalls. Um, so I went to the FDA website because I wanted to be, I wanted to be a little bit more accurate about you know, what, I, what I told you guys. And so I, I created, the, and you can find this on the FDA website, it's the recall products by fiscal year. And this is 2012 to 2022. So 2022 is obviously going to be lower because we're still pretty early. But if you look at the years, I mean, you look at 2015, it was 9,175. Uh, 26. 8,306, 2017, 9,198. And it's the same. I mean, and then 2021 was 5,310. And already in 2022, we're at 2,261. So that's just the number of drug recalls, or I shouldn't say drug, they're recalls. So the recalls kind of encompass several different categories. You've got biologics, which are typically things that contain or are made from living things. And that would be, you know, blood products, uh, vaccines, you know, that kind of thing. And then you've got devices that get withdrawn or recalled. You've got drugs and then you have food and cosmetic products. Um, and then you'll have veterinary products and sometimes tobacco products. And tobacco products are amazingly low, thank God. But we don't want tobacco products out there, period. But um, food and uh, the drug recalls, it was between... This is specific to drugs. Between 2012 and 2022, 13,629 drug recalls. Wow. So that's 13,000 drug recalls. And that to me is a lot. So, you know, you want to talk about following the science and trusting the science. You know, to me, for somebody to tell me just to, to, to trust the science is dismissive. You know, I don't believe that you should be, I should just yield to you saying, trust the science. I think I have a right and a duty as a, you know, we go to the grocery store, we look at labels, you know, the things that we buy. Why wouldn't we want to do that with the other things that we put in our body? Some of these things make permanent, supposed permanent changes to who we are. Um, you know, so I think we have every right to question the science and that we can understand just by this, what I'm showing you now with these recalls, the science isn't always solid mm -hmm. and it change. And isn't there something to, you can help us with this, we can't even see the ingredients in things like certain vaccines because of patents or something. Isn't that some that some of this isn't even disclosed to us because of patent situations well, I think it, or something? It goes back to the same thing that, you know, you get slowly, information gets slowly released to you. I mean, I think that's where we are. We've even understood that with Pfizer releasing something over 50 years, I think it was, you know, that they were, that was their plan. You know, and that goes back to the same adage. If, it, if it's true, and if it's truth, and if it's factual, why wouldn't you want to release it? You know, the truth invites inspection. I think it invites. Like that. Woo! I think, <laughs> I'm writing come, that down. <laughs> yeah. You know, says come and look at what I have and, and try to find fault. And you can't if it's true. You know, you just can't. And so, yeah, I mean, you can find some of these ingredients. I mean, I've got. You can go to the um, CDC website. You can print off the um, the vaccine information fact sheets, and it'll tell you. I think in part, and you, you never and you never really know what you're getting. You know, you, you're given some information, and I'll, I'll one of these. I think I sent this to you, Kristen. It was kind of 
comical. I'll give you like the ingredient list that they provide. And forgive me if I butcher some of these names. This is on, uh, this is for the Spike Vax, which is the brand name from Moderna. Um, it contains, uh, it says contains the following ingredients, messenger ribonucleic acid, mRNA, uh, lipids, polyethylene glycol, and then uh, 2000 dimerostoyl glycerol, <laughs> DMG for short, uh, cholesterol, 1,2-disteroyl SN glycero 3 phosphocholine, which is DSPC, trimethamine, trimethamine hydrochloride, acetic acid, sodium acetate, trihydrate, and sucrose. And that's what they list. The, the comical thing about this, or the thing that's kind of sad, is that they say, who should not get the vaccine? And it has two headings. It says, you should not get the vaccine if you have a severe allergic reaction after a previous dose, or you should not get the vaccine if you have a severe allergic reaction to any of the ingredients of this vaccine. Well, how do you know if you're gonna have an allergic reaction to DMG or the DSPC? Have you ever even heard of these things? And you know, so it, when somebody, a lay person, somebody comes into the pharmacy or into a, a clinic or a doctor's office and they read this, they're gonna go, well, I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't think I've ever had an allergic reaction to these things. And, you know, if they, if they read it, you know, and in, in many instances, this is my opinion that the, the process happens so quickly. I, I wonder if they have time to look at it or if they even take time to look at the precautions, the warnings, what's in the vaccine. I would venture to say, no. oh, I'm sure 99.9998% of people who have been vaccinated didn't ask one question about the ingredients. I never asked about it with my kids' yeah. vaccines. I think that's yeah. just nobody's, a, it's just not something we do. No, because you trust. Right. You trust that it's quote safe or you think that it is. And you know what's interesting when you say that, and this is what I've been pointing out too. They, they even talked about this. One of the doctors at the Senate hearing um, at the defeat the mandates with Senator Ron Johnson, one of the physicians um, was talking about how patients, a doctor will actually, this was a, a scenario, a doctor told the patient, you should not get this vaccine because it, the patient had uh, some illness with it, okay, or autoimmune disease or whatever, and the doctor knew that this patient should not get it, okay? So it was either that or they had a reaction, but I think it was autoimmune. I'll have to find it. But I've also heard about this so many places. But they said, okay, can you write me a, a, a note to excuse me? And they couldn't because if, they, if the doctor did, the doctor said, no, I can't do that. The doctor is recommending against it, but will not or can't, cannot, quote, quote, write it because they can have their license revoked. But if there is a documented allergic <clears throat> reaction or a documented illness where it says that you should not have this, or it wasn't tested on these people, then it's just crazy. Doctors are tied, their hands are tied. Well, sort of, <laughs> if they would just stand up and yeah. Um, yeah. But go ahead. That requires exactly. a lot of courage. It requires a lot of courage. It, it does. And I think, you know, I think you guys have touched on VAERS and, and that kind of thing in the past. And I honestly, and I'm not being critical of, you know, I think just as a society, we don't take time to do some of those things. We, we want to, we, we kind of blank, blanketly trust that things are the way they are for a specific reason. And we're sort of aligning with that, hoping that everything is okay. And, you know, people are, I mean, you know, 
pharmacy, you know, part of one of my responsibilities is just to ensure compliance, you know, with people, with the things that they're taking. Um, and it doesn't happen. I mean, people just traditionally aren't compliant. I mean, some people are very, you know, you're going to have a broad spectrum. You're going to have some people who are ultra. And I've had a couple of people who would come in and say, hey, what's in this thing? And my initial response is your guess is as good as mine. You know, and I, you know, I, you know, I don't, I don't volunteer a lot of information, but if they ask me, I'm going to tell you the truth. Um, and I've had several people, you know, by and large, most of the folks that I would say that I've dealt with in the pharmacy that come in, they say, I don't want to get this, but, mm -hmm. and then you can stick in one of the uh, hundreds of different phrases. My, I want to see my grandkids. I'll, I don't want to lose my job. Um, and, and for that to be the motivation to do this is really criminal. Yes. You know, it's, it's sad that we, we, we've diluted it down to who cares what's in it? Who cares what it's going to do to you in 10 years? Who cares how it's going to affect your children, whether you're going to be able to have children? Who knows what this stuff's going to do? Just get it. Because if you don't get it, you're going to lose your job. So, well, Brent, if they ask a question about the ingredients, do you say, do you want to see the inserts? <laughs> uh, Tell us know, about what those, what those inserts look like. <laughs> I do. And I, I've done that before. And I will tell you, and Kristen, you know that you guys all know it now. I'm sure you've seen the package inserts, which, and let me just preface this by saying that with any drug that we get into the pharmacy that comes with a company with a package insert, package insert basically tells what the drug is, gives a chemical structure, gives a mechanism of action, how the drug is going to work. Um, and then it goes systematically through uh, its uses, uh, side effects, precautions, things that you shouldn't. You know, reasons that you shouldn't take it, side effects that you may encounter, and those are sort of delineated by <clears throat> severity. So it could be mild, moderate, severe. And so it gives you sort of a full picture of what this drug is about and what it's going to do. And so the package inserts for the vaccines are blank. They're totally blank. There's not a thing. Well, I shouldn't say completely blank. One of the, I think Janssen does have the name of Janssen on it. Um, Moderna, there you go. She's got the, that's, a, that's an actual. If anybody could see what I'm showing, the actual vaccine insert for MMR, it's about, would you, would you say that's like two and a half? That's feet? like 58 CDS receipts. <laughs> it's the size of a newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I'm taking a picture. I'm just taking oh. a picture. Yep, take a, I'm going to take a picture of that. <laughs> 58. So, but then the parents should know when they hand you a paper after your child is vaccinated that just says, hey, if they have what the vaccine insert looks like. <laughs> That's what the COVID was insert. But if parents, I want parents to know this about all vaccines. You can ask for the insert and they're supposed to give it to you for it, for the MMR, any vaccine your child gets. And it should list on their adverse reactions. They, I think by law have to, is that not right? And I, I'm pretty sure you can read the bad things that can happen with those things. So again, that's not a commentary on childhood vaccines. It's just to say the paper they give you is not the insert. So if, if anyone's ever said, have you ever looked at a vaccine insert? Probably not. They don't hand those out. You can ask for them and I, they do have, to, they're supposed to have to give them to you. Mm -hmm. But anyway, the, the, this is the first time we've ever heard of a vaccine or a drug not having an insert. Is that right? Is that in your experience, Brent? I was, I was shocked. I was shocked because I was curious that when, because I think the first vaccine that we uh, got in the pharmacy was the, was the Janssen and um, Johnson Johnson. And so 
you know, I was curious. I was like, well, gosh, let's see what's in this thing. And so we opened up the package insert and to my surprise, there was nothing on the package insert. And, and it's, you know, there used to be a book that pretty thick book that used to go around to the physician's offices. It was called the PDR and they may still have it. I don't know. I think it's probably outdated with the advent of online information now, but that was sort of a compilation of all of the package insert for medications. So they would combine them all into a book and they would send that book to the, you know, the doctor's office. Here's the drug information about the drugs. <clears throat> and so, you know, we have comprehensive database and, and we have books that we use too. We have, um, you know, different things that we use, but yeah, that's, that information is readily available. You can go on several sites online and you can see all of that information. It may not be quite as extensive. They sort of uh, make it easier to read. Some of that stuff is fairly, you know, complicated, but, but yeah, it's readily available and you should be able to access it. And any pharmacy, I, I wouldn't see why. I mean, you know, I would say this prior to, you know, 2021, there shouldn't be any problem walking into a pharmacy and say, hey, can I have the package insert for moxicillin? Can I have the package insert for whatever? I've had people do that occasionally. And I'll say, yeah, sure, you can have it. Take a look at it, whatever. You take it home, I don't care. I get, we get, we get hundreds of them. And, uh, you know, and, I, and, I've, and I've had a couple of folks say, hey, can I see the package insert for the vaccine? And or, or the shot, and I'll say, sure, here it is. And they have a similar reaction. They're going, Are you, this is a joke, right? I'm like, no, it's, it's no joke. This is the package insert. And, <laughs> and they still get it? They still get the shot? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. And you know, I, you know, I think, and, and we've said this with my colleagues and I've talked about this before, I think that people who wanna get it are gonna get it. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I think that there are people who either feel like they, you know, we, you do have those folks that just really want to get it. And, and that's if you want to get it and you feel comfortable in doing that, by all means. You know, I'm not there to steer you one way or the other. I'm there to give you information and let you make an informed choice based on the information that, you know, I give you. Some people ask me for that, me for that information. Most people ask me and, you know, I've had several that once they found out my vaccination status, and once they found out my sort of feeling about all of that, they were like, well, I don't want to talk to you, you know? And so I was like, okay, you know, it's not a problem. It doesn't hurt my feelings. Um, you have a choice to make just like I have a choice to make. And, um, you know, but if you ask me, I'm going to tell you. And if you're open to discussion, I'm going to discourage it, you know? And that's, and I've had several folks that have come to me that were, I mean, they were in tears in the pharmacy and, you know, they even said to me, thank you. I thought I was by myself in fearing this or worrying about it. And I let them know, hey, you're not alone. There's a lot of concern. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, hesitancy. And I think that's justifiable. I don't think you should ever ridicule somebody for being hesitant about doing something. Everybody has a decision to make. Um, like, does it not blow your mind that, wouldn't you think that it would just make somebody think that a pharmacist who dispenses, understands, is very well educated on drugs and adverse reactions and safety and efficacy and everything, just if it would that not make them think when they know you didn't get it? Just like say. when all of those nurses that got and healthcare pra practitioners, they got fired, everybody got fired in New York. Like this is not just hey, these people are rogue, these conspiracy theorists. Like literally these are thousands and thousands of people who are not dumb right. and like, and are experts. They lost their jobs over it. They, they took, they, they had nothing to gain by taking the stand. They had everything right. to lose. 
Well, I said, when, when you said that people uh, stopped talking to you, I had the obedient, I was like, well, if my pharmacist wasn't taking it, I, I'd be the total opposite. I'd be like, well, I'm not taking it either because <laughs> I'm going to trust my pharmacist. Right. You know, my trusted pharmacist that like you or said, at least make you think stuff, or, question. Like, or I wouldn't just yeah. negate that and just say, give it to me. I mean, that's just, yeah. everybody's different. Everybody's yeah. different. They are it's different. And I think one of the things that I've run into is this, this so closely parallels political ideology that, you know, <clears throat> the people that I consider, you know, other pharmacists, colleagues, that kind of thing, they can't, they can't separate it. And they can't just look objectively at the drug itself or, and, you know, this treatment that we're saying is safe and effective, that we have very little uh, historical information on to prove that. And really, we're not gonna know how safe and effective this drug is. I mean, I'm thankful that there haven't been more injuries than there have been. And my prayer is that there won't be, but we simply don't know what's gonna happen. And that's the scary thing to me. And, you know, I've had professional folks in my pharmacy and I had one guy who was, uh, maybe he won't hear this, but he's a lawyer. And he said, you know, he said, I can't believe that you're not getting this vaccine. And I told him, I said, well, look, you have an understanding of law that I don't have. And you have, you know, the intricacies of, of law that I don't know. And so those are the folks that I consult when I need information and I need expertise. And I'm not claiming to be an expert by any means. I don't think I'm a great pharmacist. I think that I'm, I go against the grain of traditional pharmacy. And I do that by choice in a lot of ways because Many of the things that are stand are sitting behind that counter, I don't think are necessary. Um, I think that we are treating symptoms of a bigger problem that involves spirit, soul, and body. And I think that you know you got to look at food, you got to look at exercise, you got to look at nutrition. You got there's so many other factors that play into this. That how dare we? Well, I, I mean, I know how we do because it's we want the easy button, we want the quick fix, and it breaks my heart when people come into the pharmacy and they are desperate for answers. They're desperate for whatever the situation might be. And it's a myriad of problems that these people face. I mean, it could be the death of a loved one and they're on an antidepressant. It could be that they are just suffering from post-traumatic stress and they're on an anti-anxiety medication. So you have to be sensitive to those things and understand, but, but we're sort of band-aiding everything and we we should really get to the root and i think that involves faith you know there's so many different factors that i think we sort of ignore and don't place value on that are extremely valuable that we should be considering and it should be a tandem effort in my honest opinion i think medication should be the last resort i think that should be when we've exercised all of the other options nothing else seems to work and i and don't get me wrong, I think there are medications that are extremely valuable and very important. I mean, um, you know, I don't want to cover all of that with a blanket statement, but I do feel like that there are a lot of things that could be avoided. <clears throat> you know, even diabetes. I mean, you talk about diet modification, you talk about exercise, those things can go a long way. And if we didn't have examples of that working, then it would be a different conversation. But we have examples of people getting out of diabetes by changing their lifestyle habits and people who were on drugs like metformin or things to aid in diabetes, they got off of those things because they changed what they ate. Uh, they changed you know, how they exercised. So there are modifications that I think we can make and that doesn't work for everyone, but I think we at least need to look at those things first 
you know, before we say, okay, we've tried all this stuff, now we're going to have to put you on a tablet. That's right. And I think when you, when you come from a place of faith, for me, I can only speak for myself, but my worldview has always, for as long as I can remember, been informed by my faith and the, and the faith of my parents where, you know, I, I first learned those things, which was God made me and he made my body to heal itself. If I got cut, I could see that my scab would happen, that my, my blood would clot and it would stop the bleeding and that, that sore would eventually heal, right? As long as I took care of it, it would eventually heal. Then my body had this mechanism built into it that wanted to stay well and that I could do things that helped me stay well. I could do things that made me get sick, right? Uh, not getting enough sleep, not having a good, a good diet, not getting fresh air, vitamin D, getting out and exercising, getting your heart rate up a little bit. Those things had a tendency to keep me in the positive, keep me in the, in the, in the, on that healthy side. And then I had experiences, which I'm very thankful for in my 20s. Amy and Kristen, I've talked about this many times, where I saw that the medical profession was prescribing drugs that then had side effects that caused additional issues which then just started this chain reaction of bad health in general. And it was band-aids, not cures. And I'm not saying that's true across the board. Again, we're not talking blanket statements here. We're not, we're just kind of painting with a broad brush to say there's a fundamental principle in many of us that believes the body's meant to heal itself, but that there are, and that drugs can be a great thing when, when other things we're trying aren't working, but the industry has become so powerful and it has so infiltrated the practitioners that the practitioners, rather than saying, we need to look at diet, we need to look at exercise, we need to not have a quick fix, we need you to maybe do the hard work to get to where you want to be. They have instead gone, they are so far into the category of let's go medicate everyone. And then we see we're the sickest we've ever been, the most medicated we've ever been, and truly. And, and, and this is where so I'm coming from that perspective. I know everyone on this episode is right now, right? That's where we come from. So it's hard for us to go buy in in 2020 when you tell us there's a vaccine without an insert that tells us what's in it that has not gone through the rigorous testing of decades of looking at to see what happens. And then, God forbid, you're going to mandate it. The buy-in isn't there because we don't fundamentally believe. We, we analyze risk-benefit. What's the risk? What's the benefit? If, what's my chances of dying of COVID? Y'all want to know what the latest numbers are of what the actual death from, from COVID, not with COVID, but from it? It's not what you thought. It's <laughs> we are. I mean, it's, it's way less than you were told. Uh, if, if another person says to me, oh, but millions have died of No, they haven't. No, they haven't. They're admitting no. it now. No, they're they're admitting it and now. the fact that it's a treatable illness. We treatable. know that there's therapies and we know that they're being suppressed. Treatable. So that's a whole other. Treatable. So yeah. if, if you're one of the people and you're probably not, because if you're listening to this, you're probably not on, on this side of the, of the narrative. But if you're one of those people who doesn't understand why somebody doesn't want to get that vaccine, you're not paying attention. You have absolutely turned your brain off. I'm serious. I don't care if it hurts your feelings, it's the damn truth. You've turned your brain off to the facts, to the facts, to the data, to the truth of the fact that we don't know. And you roll that dice all you want to. You roll it all you want to. You wanna get it, go get it. I will champion your right to get it every single day. But right. do not tell me I have to. Don't tell me a child has to do it. You're liars, you're liars. The people who are telling us these kids need it, they're liars. I can show you that they're liars. Well, how do I know? Because behind closed doors, 
they say a different thing than what the press says they're saying. Yep. And, well, and even going back, going back to just when you were talking about um, practitioners, we've, we've gone so far as that they just immediately prescribe a drug as a Band-Aid versus teaching us how to be healthy and how to heal ourselves. Wouldn't there a financial benefit for them to not go that route? I mean, I think that we're so, like you said, in bed and cahoots, whatever you want to call it, the, the doctors are so, you know, influenced by this big pharma that of course they're going to prescribe the medication because who gets the kickbacks, right? Right. And didn't you tell me this is a good segue yeah, into what, gonna... what you were telling me? I did not know this about, especially with the chain pharmacies, they get met, they get money per injection, well, right? Yeah. So the incentive for pharmacies to give the vaccine, and, I, and I'm not saying that that's the only incentive, but there is a monetary incentive, and that is what they classify as an administration fee, which is $40 <clears throat> per shot. And you can think about that in terms of if a pharmacy was doing, you know, a thousand shots a week, that's a lot of money. Um, you know, that might mean, well, and it, it will mean a lot to a big corporate entity, but it'll mean a lot to the, the small guys too. And there are drivers for all of this. And you're right. I mean, I think you guys have said it before that, you know, one of the worst things I think that ever happened in society is that we began to market drugs on television to people. And so we've driven consumer demand you know, we put this out there and we, you know, people are looking for hope. They're looking for an answer. They're looking for a cure, a fix. They're looking for a way out of something. And so when you put these things on the screen and you say, hey, this will cure this, or this will do that, or this will help this, you know, immediately that's stimulating something. And I think that they know that. I mean, this is not by mistake. This is all by design. The pharmaceutical industry is brilliant. And they are very sinister, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, a lot of this is driven, it, well, I think it all is driven by good old uh, American greed, a lot of backdoor deals, a lot of back scratching. Um, you know, you can look, I can give you examples, even in our uh, North Carolina welfare system, where you would think that we would look at cost effective ways to administer treatments and drugs and that kind of thing. And I can't tell you the number of times that in the pharmacy, there is a viable, acceptable, well-used, well-recommended generic for a brand name medication that is pennies on the dollar. And I am mandated to give the more expensive brand name option because the, they simply will not pay for the generic. And, you know, that alone, and, and I'm, I'm one of these people that if you tell me I can't do something, or I, you know, you, you know I'm going to say, yes, I can. You know, you don't, you don't, I, you just don't push people that you way. You are not alone. You're not, yeah. not alone right here. <laughs> it's incredibly frustrating because you've got insurance companies, you've got, uh, you know, Medicaid, state Medicaid programs, you've got all these things. And we don't know what's happening in our legislatures. We don't know what's happening in offices where you've got lobbyists walking in and spending enormous amounts of money to get things approved. We don't know what happens behind these closed doors. But you, I see in, in, in small part, the result of some of those things because it's, 
it, it, I'm scratching my head going, why can't I give this person generic if I know that I'm giving everybody else out here generic, but the folks that come in for this, I've got to give them brand name and it's going to cost more. And it's because somebody somewhere has worked a deal and they're making money on this. And, yep. you, know, that's, you know, that's, I don't have evidence to, but, I, but I've seen, I've been in this business 30 years nearly, and I've seen a lot of stuff happen and it's, it's too visible not to look at that and go, yeah, that's exactly right. And I've got colleagues that if they were brave enough, they would echo that same thing. Well, now I have a question. Speaking of being told what to do, what not to do, have you ever been, so I guess the description of a pharmacist, like, have you ever been told not to give something that a doctor prescribed? I know that y'all are another, you know, checkpoint, kind of like nurses are too. Nurses are, pharmacists are, you know, where you just got to double check the doctor, make sure they didn't make a mistake. Nurse checks it, pharmacist checks it, okay? So, for instance, hydro hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, you know, and pharmacies are not dispensing it even when a doctor who is practicing medicine and writing the prescription, why is it on you? Like, who does that come from for y'all not to be able to dispense that? So just by the very nature of being a pharmacist, we have a right to refuse to fill. If we feel like something is, is um, not up to snuff or there's a problem or there's, or, you know, it, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, it was, it was a little more easy to disseminate. People would bring in forged prescriptions, that kind of thing. It was very easy to see. And you would just say, no, I'm not going to fill these, you know, or there might've been, uh, you know, we're supposed to be, you know, sort of um, compliance specialists and medication experts. And, you know, we're trying to ensure the safety of these folks, not, not only looking for you know, drug interaction, side effects, that kind of thing, but looking for the way they're dosing, the way they're taking, that they're not overdosing, that they're not missing, or they're not, but there, but honestly, there are several governing, you know, entities or organizations that attempt, and, and, you know, there are some directly over me that influence what I can do and what I can't do, and that, and, that, and I'm still under that umbrella now, that there are certain things, like hydroxychloroquine is a perfect example, that it came down that we have been limited on how many we can dispense and that it has to be for a certain diagnosis and that if that diagnosis code is not on there, that, you know, there, there are just all sorts of things that come into play. Was um, that before ivermectin, Brent? Was that, was the hydrochloric, was the hydroxychloroquine, because I remember this, the first one that Trump mentioned and then there was kickback. Did that happen before ivermectin or is that, no? No, you know, initially they didn't really mandate a lot. I, you know, initially there was, you know, we were dispensing it and I've always dispensed, you know, in, in, you know, in the beginning, I, I was like, ivermectin? And I, you know, I was like, why are they doing that? But then I, I was open to it. I was like, well, yeah, obviously there's something. I mean, there's, you can go on the FLCCC uh, protocol that's available and you can look, there's a, there are a number of medications that they continue to find that have some sort of benefit. And I think that's just good medicine. I think that that's doctors saying, well, hey, and they're being smart and they're looking at things that happen in the body and the way these drugs work. And they're going, maybe this, maybe this, there's some benefit to this. And so they're exploring these alternatives and they're finding benefit in it. And so initially there was not a lot of pushback with what we were allowed to dispense. What you were finding or what I was finding rather was that, you know, 
other pharmacists were simply saying, I'm not going to do this. And I would see them on social media, call a horse, you know, and I'm thinking, come on, guys, you guys know that this, there's more to this than horse medication, mm -hmm. that there is a viable oral tablet form and even compounded forms of ivermectin that were for human consumption. And to just do that is, like I said, it's dismissive. And you, you influence a lot of people, their feeling on it, because, you know, I'm in a position of authority. I don't feel like I'm an authoritative person. But, you know, it's the same thing we were talking about before. Anybody that's been pulled over by a cop understands authority. You know, and you understand the feeling that you have when there's somebody that is supposed to be basically controlling something that you can or can't do that's over you. You're, you're sort of subservient, like, okay, what do I need to do? And you're trusting in that. And so that's kind of what you're doing. You're going into a pharmacy. And if, if this guy has just a, an ax to grind against ivermectin or against a politician or against whatever, then he can simply say, I won't do it. And, and that's what they're doing. Um, now what we're finding and what I'm seeing is that insurance companies are going, uh, if it's if the diagnosis code, we're, they're going to require a diagnosis code when you fill that prescription. And if the diagnosis code is not what they deem necessary, they won't pay for the prescription. And so is that with COVID? Is that like, OK, let's say you got somebody come in today. They've got a diagnosis of COVID. Are you right now permitted to dispense if, they, if it's a doctor's order, hydrochloroquine or ivermectin? So I can dispense ivermectin. I can dispense them both. I'm limited on hydroxychloroquine. I'm not limited on ivermectin. Um, so I can and I will dispense those medications. I certainly am gonna do it within the framework of what I'm, you know, I don't wanna lose my license. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm gonna abide by what I'm instructed to do. But what I will tell you is that with regards to insurance companies and people that bring in their, you know, their insurance card that, um, you know, if it has a diagnosis code of COVID on there, or if we call that office and say, hey, this, what's the diagnosis code? And they tell us it's COVID. And we put that and we submit that, that it's a pretty good chance that they won't pay for it. Or if they do, they'll only pay for a very small amount. And then they won't pay for anything beyond that. Mm -hmm. And sort of hand in hand with that is that the prices of those things, specifically ivermectin, has gone up. And so you, you got that other thing at play there too, where it's opportunistic and they're trying to say, hey, we can make some money here. So it's, it's, it's I mean, yeah, everybody keeps saying it's like so cheap to make. I'm like, well, it wasn't cheap for me to buy. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I was expecting the insurance, you know, at this point I was like, I knew the insurance company would not pay for, for mine. And um, I do want to ask you about something. Go ahead, Holly, but I, I have one more question. I'm just going to tag on to what he said real quick about the, uh, the animal and human drug thing and how you said some pharmacists knew good and well that ivermectin is prescribed for humans, but, but yeah. would sort of politicize it online to say, you know, the horse paste or whatever, no one full well, it's been, they want a Nobel Peace Prize for the drug, right? So, Here's the thing I, I want people to know. When I got sick with blood clots in the hospital with my first child, they, I remember being prescribed later on Coumadin and my doctor made the joke, promise you, you know what Coumadin is, right? I said, what? He goes, rat poison. Mm -hmm. I it said, is. stop, you're giving me rat poison? He said, well, in a rat, you know, it kills them, but in you, it thins your blood. <laughs> anyway, makes the rat bleed out. This was my first, you know, the no, knowledge of, oh, humans and, and animals 
you know, that some of the chemistry works for both. It has either a benefit or a negative side effect for both. And then, um, and so then you have, I, I was on the phone with my vet and I said, I want to do a more natural heartworm for my puppy. Guess what he told me to give my puppy? Guess what he, guess what he- Ivermectin. 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 He says it doubles, as, he says it doubles as a dewormer for the puppy and- you know, and he gave me the, he dosed it and he told me, you know, he's very careful about it, but that's what he uses in his practice. But it's also a Nobel Peace Prize winning, you know, they won the Nobel Peace Prize for the development of a human drug. So people need to stop with this dog pill, horse pill, what it is a drug that might work for both. And that's been the case for as long as, you know, as we know. And it has anti-tumor properties too. So pharmacists are refusing to give it and they have no idea that this could actually help people for, for that as well. You know, I, I just, it's, it's, it's crazy. It, and I don't want to say like, you hate to say even miracle drug or whatever, but the more I learn about this, this medicine, anti-inflammatory, anti-parasitic, antiviral, anti-tumor. I mean, the list goes on and on. There are so many mechanisms of actions and I have several articles and studies that prove this. Yeah. And you know, it'll be on our resources, but I mean, it's, just, and it's already on our resources. Um, it's just, you were going to ask something too, Kristen. With, yes. okay, I didn't want it's, it's a different medicine, but another like controlling thing that we were, we had talked about because uh, Brent and I talked when he reached out, I talked to him for about uh, almost an hour last week. And I was like, I want to keep talking. But <laughs> when you were talking about, and it's funny because it, it's interesting, not funny that I just posted about this um, NAC the N-acetylcysteine. Um, yeah. Can you tell people about the benefits of that? And just so people know, and you may, you may know this, I'm sure you know this too, Brent, that they were trying to take it off the market for over the counter and make it a prescription. And you got to wonder why. Yeah. Quick, quick, so, hurry, hurry, hurry. So can you um, tell us just, tell us just some benefits of that? Well, I, you know, I, I found out about N-acetylcysteine years ago and it was in a uh, nebulized form. They used it for over secretion and mucus um, in you know pulmonary patients, patients who were you know, had uh, pneumonia, pneumonitis, fibro fit, cystic fibrosis, different things that they used because it was excellent in uh, thinning secretions. And so you know that that alone should give it some merit when you've got patients who are having issues with pneumonitis or pneumonia. Uh, in, in the hospitals that it should. And so, yeah, it does have excellent problem. I mean, it has um, uh, microcirculation and it helps with microcirculation. There's so many things that it does well. And, you know, it has anti-inflammatory properties. I mean, there's a myriad of things and you can look it up. I mean, there's a ton of benefit to it. And, 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 and let, me, let me backtrack just a second to, to sort of give you a blanket covering of all medications. And I think we tend to forget this. I know it's easy when, when we've got so many things at our disposal, even when we walk into a pharmacy and the over-the-counter stuff, you know, with Tylenol and all of these things that are available, everything you put in your body that is not innate to your body, that your body didn't produce, is going to be a foreign substance. So it's basically, and you know, you can classify it as what you want to classify it as, but it's almost like it's a poison. It's a foreign substance, hence the reason we have side effects. And so, you know, lots of times you're seeing people give things and then you're having to manage side effects because of the benefit of that particular drug. But, you know, no one should ever walk in and think that, you know, these things are going to be the 
the cure-all, the end-all for all of this stuff, no matter what it is, mm-hmm. you always approach it cautiously. And I would tell anybody, even with N-acetylcysteine, even with ivermectin, even with hydroxychloroquine, do your research. If you have conditions or things that these drugs are contraindicated in, that might factor into your decision to want to do that. Mm-hmm. It may not. But, we, but I think I would say get an informed decision about that just as well as you would about this shot. You need to be informed about the benefits and the cost. And, and that's where you've got ivermectin that's got a 50 plus year track record of safety, you know, and limited problems, um, you know, and, and proven. I mean, I think you're, you touched on it. You've got studies and, and data. And then we've almost got two years of data now. And I've, I've talked to multiple practitioners who are prescribing it and they're seeing excellent results. And, and even on the down low, I had doctors coming to me that worked in hospitals saying, hey, can we get some ivermectin? And, you know, they're afraid to speak out against, I mean, just, they're afraid to speak out in favor of it, but they want it. Mm-hmm. And so they see the value, but they don't want to lose their jobs. Well, and I think and that's that- a really good point just to say all this too, though, when you're talking about the going back, sorry to interrupt you, but going back to when you were saying that there's always going to be... there. A negative side and there's going to be something because it is a foreign substance but in addition to that it not being there's not one miracle pill everything that we've talked about it's it's a multi-drug multi-supplement multi-therapy approach and it's really being healthy before it happens it's it's prevention and it's really taking control and empowering yourself and your body with the immune system to combat anything right getting to the root cause and just preventing anything from happening um, already, I wanted to, I knew Amy was going to ask you about just uh, yeah, yeah, well, you know, I know you had said earlier that um, your catchphrase for the past two years has been, this is crazy. <laughs> we call that our just think moments. <laughs> um, so either this is crazy, just think. I wanted to ask you, what was your just think moment? Um, like the very first time when you were just like, huh? with COVID, so starting March, 2020, but then also your just think moments back before, could, yeah, pharmacy school, because like here you are, school. you're yeah. a pharmacist <laughs> and you are more focused and you see the value in root causes and not being on medicine, which, you know, that is completely opposite of what your career is. So obviously something made you kind of see that you must've had a just think moment when you started pharmacy school up until that point. So just those two things like that really made you start being like, huh, it's weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think it was a gradual thing whenever I was in corporate pharmacy that you just saw the progression. Um, you know, I used to, to joke about certain drugs being the, you know, the county welcome kit. You know, you get, a, you get welcome to the county, here are your medications, you know, and it's almost like, they were just so readily dispensed and so readily available. And it, it started with opioids. I think that was a big thing. You know, back in back 20 years ago, we didn't have all these high-powered opioids. And the ones that we did have, and that's a whole, you know, other conversation that you could have. But, um, you know, the ones that we you, you reserve, the really heavy-duty stuff for really severe, you know, conditions. And now you see those things just given almost to anyone who's got a pain. And, um, you know, they've gone, and I think that sort of, it was a gradual sort of awareness of, you know, things just aren't 
what I thought they were. And, you know, especially when I got into my own business and I looked at the financial side of things and I looked at the number of people, and I think doctors and physicians run into the same thing, is that the driving force behind a lot of the decisions that are made are for insurance companies. And this is all goes back to the same thing. It's all about money. And, you know, it's what they deem is appropriate, what they deem is necessary, what they think you should do, what they think you shouldn't do. And we've sort of taken a lot of the decision-making out of the doctor's hands. I think that's wrong. I think if they have a reason for prescribing something, they ought to be justified in that reason and they ought to be allowed to do it. And then a pharmacist who's working in tandems should be with nurses and doctors, should be willing to say, okay, he has a reason and he has a justification. Obviously, we, we have a duty to look at the entire picture um, and look for problems. Anyway, I don't want to get too far off base with that, but I will tell you that my this is crazy moment with COVID came really almost from the beginning. You know, I, you know the fact that the way this, they said this thing originated, I was like, come on, you know, I don't believe that, you know, I just, that just can't be right. And, and now we're finding out and, and that to me, let's just start there that this thing potentially, in which I believe it was, was created. Um, we can debate about where it was created. I don't think there are that many places in the world that it could be created, but we can start there and say, okay, somebody had a sinister idea and a plan to create this thing for one reason or another you know, that alone. And then all of a sudden, it seems like everything kind of fell into place. It, all, it was like there were protocols out of nowhere. There were, you know, got to wear a mask out of nowhere. Uh, you know, it was all these things that just kind of got thrust on you. And you're like, holy cow, what, what happened? You know, we, we stepped into a twilight zone and things just seemed to be going crazy. So immediately, I think I was just like, I'm not buying it. And it was just a feeling. I, you know, I think you know, you, you trust your gut, I think, in some of those situations, too. And it was just this thing inside me that says something just doesn't, something stinks with this. And then, you know, the further you go and the more you talk to people and the more you ask questions and the more you dig, you find out, hey, this smells really bad. Yeah, so just paying attention, you know, paying attention, asking questions. I like that you said at the beginning, I've always been a person who asks questions and you're not one to just follow blindly. And I think these are the personalities that look at Bill Maher. I never in a million years growing up on the right side of politics, you know, and I hate partisan politics. Anyone knows my story knows I feel that way. I think our system is so corrupt on both sides. But growing up on the right, I thought Bill Maher and I were rarely going to agree on anything. I think we agree on most things right now. And it's crazy. It's so crazy. This is crazy. <laughs> Because he, like us, isn't a blind follower. He's a question asker. He's a he's a skeptic. You know, he's like, wait a minute, but wait, he wants to just know the truth and he doesn't appreciate being lied to, right? And, and that's that's what I want people to understand. A second point I wanted to make before we wrap up to Brent is you kind of re-alluded to this, the follow the money trail. Kristen, Amy, and I have said, you want to know where the origins of everything is. Where's the money? Where's the money? Where's the money? Where's the money and the power? Money and power. That usually is going to lead you. If you can find the source, that's going to answer a lot of your questions. And you mentioned that each time in a shot, the COVID shot is given, that there's a $40 administrative fee paid to that pharmacy. So I want to do some math because I Googled while you guys were talking. How many CVS stores 
And how many Walgreens? So let's just take two of the top drugstore chains in America. That's not all pharmacies in America. That is just your top chains. There's a roughly, there's over 19,000 of those stores in just the United States, okay? If they just, these 19,000 stores administer just one shot per day, right? You're gonna look at, that's $760,000 a day that these chains are making from administering the shot. But we know, what would you guess on average these stores might be administering? Do you have any idea, Brent, on, uh, per day? You know, I think at its peak, uh, I know that some of the independents that I, I'm aware of were doing maybe four shots an hour, maybe more, maybe six oh. shots, you know, and it depends on the number of practitioners or the number of pharmacists that you have that can do it. And, you know, so I wouldn't be uncomfortable in saying, you know, six, eight shots an hour at, at a peak. Um, you know, the demand sort of waxes and wanes with, with, with it right now. So, if we, that was, so 50 shots a day is going to be on the conservative end, right? If we say 50 yeah. shots a day, it's going to be on the conservative end. So let's just say, let's say on average, they're able to do 50 shots a day. All right. Then um, what did I say, guys? That was 750,000. Is that what I said? I'm yeah. sorry. I'm going to do this right. Okay. All right, let's do it. 19,000 stores. They get 40 a shot. And then when they could do 50 a day. All right. That's $38 million a day. $38 million a day between two, just two, just two. Let's say they do it for every day of the year for this last year. Um, you want to know how big that number is? Billion, billion. So if you there's a huge incentive for these pharmacists and these pharmacies. To yeah, pharmacies, pharmacies, the pharmacists and, and, and I, you know, yeah, the corporate, corporate side. We're not getting even in the independent pharmacies, you're getting that money, but you're the pharmacists are not, you know, directly getting it. But oh yeah, but, yeah, we yeah. But the, the, the corporation is making tremendous money. We know there have been nine billionaires, CNN reported it last year, nine billionaires created alone on the vaccines alone worldwide. And that was just at the beginning. That is, I don't even know what it's at now, you know? So again- I have a question. Yeah, yeah go ahead, Holly. What? No, no, you go, you go. I have a question because this is something that I, I wanted to look up and maybe I should know, but, um, and hopefully you would know. So the different shots, when you have the first dose, the second dose, and the booster, yeah, is it all the same formulation? Like, are they just get, or or do you come in and you say, "I'm here for my second shot"? So is that like, oh, we need to get this vial, or is this the same? Is it all the same formulation? So are people getting just the same, you know, um, same, thing, same thing every time? Which we, I know, I'm going to preface this too. When something is under the emergency use authorization there can be different formulations in each vial because it's not regulated because it's not approved by the FDA, right? I mean, I know that I've read that. Um, so I know that you don't really know everything that's in there, but is there a specific, hey, if this patient comes in with, for shot one, they get this. If they come in for shot two, they get this. So, <laughs> boy, I don't know where to go with this. I, I will tell you um, that we, we have people that think that you know, customers or patients that will come in that think that it is a different vaccine. It is not. So Moderna, Pfizer, um, you know, I could have a box of 10 vials and I may only use one of those vials and a month later you come in and I get a, I get a vial out of that same box. It's the same vaccine. 
you're getting a, an initial dose and a second dose that are typically the same amount. And then the third booster is usually a decreased amount. So it's like, um, well, it is for Moderna. I think the Pfizer is the same, but um, you know, now with the advent of a fourth, you know, who knows where all this is going to go, but yeah, um, you know, and, I, and I'll tell you this too, I'll throw this in there and, and just as a, as a side note, but the amount of waste, um, you know, with this vaccine is unbelievable. I mean, if you, if you think it's viable and you think, or this, I don't want to call it a vaccine, I hate doing that. But if you, um, if you think it's viable and you think it's effective, you, you know, we're, we're throwing away, just because of the way it's stored and the way that it's, you know, it's, you can't keep it out of the fridge very long. It doesn't last very long once you break the seal. So there are, I would say conservatively, and I have no way of justifying this. I'm just thinking based on what I've experienced, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of doses that are just tossed. Somebody is paying for all of this. And, you know, th that's right. It's going to be- <laughs> We are. We are. <laughs> the money's got to come from somewhere. Nothing's free. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's not. And you know, and then I think we'll touch on, I'll throw this out there too. I think I sent you the, the picture of the mask. Yes. You know, that uh, was the N95 government mask that at the very bottom, the little, little caveat at the bottom says not evaluated for antimicrobial, antibacterial or antiviral. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not been evaluated, but yet we're, we're being told we have to wear it. And um, so, there, and, and we could, we could talk about this for hours, but. Um. Well, and I think it's also important to note that even with going back to the shots, everybody's getting the same shot and that that was the shot that was tested on the original strain. Okay. Yeah. We, that's yeah. been there, that we've been there, gone there. Appalachian. Okay. It's gone. That, that, it's gone. <laughs> and so now after Omicron, like, where do we go now? Like we have all, I mean, you're, you've either been vaccinated, you've either had COVID. I mean, when do we reach herd immunity at this point? And also, you know, if we all have some immunity from whatever, either A, Delta, Omicron, like how can you keep trying to vaccinate on top of all that? Mandating it, mandating yeah. it. And like having like freedom convoys, like I truckers, I just, I don't like understand. having like riots break out because of it still, still. Yeah. Well, you know, fear is a big manipulator. And I think that that's, they know that uh, they prey on that. And, you know, I think one, one of the things this, this whole COVID thing has done is it's brought out deep seated, rooted feelings in people that you probably wouldn't have ordinarily seen. You know, you've seen people that are just terrified. And I know, I know today, I feel like strongly today that if, if they came on television and said, Hey, this thing's over, you know, we're done. We're dropping all restrictions, go back to normal life. There are still people that would not take those masks off. One hundred percent, because we don't have a mandate. We haven't had a mandate and carry for two months, friend. I'm yeah. the only person in my grocery store yesterday without a mask on, and we haven't <laughs> had them for two months. And I literally just want to stand in the middle of the store and go, "Hey, everybody, real quick, um, can you just yeah. help me? Can I make an announcement? I can I make an announcement? I just want some science behind your decisions. I, I mean, I, you can make that decision. Please, no, I'm not saying. I'm not, if you want to wear a mask, fine, but I wow. don't understand. I don't understand. My brain doesn't compute with how that many people are still doing it when you don't have to. <laughs> well, it's a false sense of security. That's yeah. my main issue is that people think that they are protecting themselves or they think by virtue signaling, they are protecting others and, and they're not doing either. 
you, it's, it's very minimal, minimal protection, if anything, if anything. And the science, there is so much science behind that. And so that is where it's like, okay, you can do this, but do you know that like, it's not really doing anything? That, yeah. Do they know? And I don't think they do because it's never talked about, right? But there's never, we've looked at the science personally, Brent. I mean, trust me, the hours spent on trying to find evidence that shows that this protects us from COVID is, is non-existent. And, and that's what's, but there's literally, I don't know how many studies showing it doesn't protect you from the flu. It doesn't protect you from the- But the thing is you have Walensky, Rochelle Walensky, head of the CDC saying that masks are 80% effective. Okay. And that's already been proven that that's wrong. Okay. The fact checkers aren't, aren't on her. They on me like white on rice, but <laughs> they are all on her. But it is like, I don't, I don't understand how they can get away with that. But that's also what we said. When people can't do the research they themselves, they're listening to the, these authorities. And, and this is what happens. And then when you go to ask doctors, so many doctors will say, well, according to the CDC. So it's not that people are necessarily just getting it from mainstream media, but their doctors are only listening to CDC without doing their own research. Because if they did, they, then they would find that. And they wrong. probably can't. They can't, like you said, like their hands are tied. They, they'll lose their license. They'll get in trouble. They have to go by the CDC. Yeah, it's not even losing their job. That's what they said at the Senate hearing too. It's not even that they lose their job. They lose, lose their license to practice medicine. Yeah. And they don't want to risk that. That is a huge red flag that a doctor I cannot be, be a doctor. I would be so mad if I paid for medical school, spent all that freaking time, and then now I can't practice medicine. I mean, right. according to the CDC, like a robot to every patient, according to the CDC, I can well, do that. You, I read at one point, and I went to the CDC and read this with my own eyes at the peak of the mask insanity. They had guidance on there that said you should wear one mask and then wear a second mask and that you to pull a piece of hosiery over your head to create a seal around those. Stop. Into the shape of a tube and you pull Stop. it. Okay. Have y'all seen Raisin Arizona? I read that. And you got a penny on your head. <laughs> y'all know that movie, right? Somebody out there is going to know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. That is... Uh. It's, this is bananas. And again, okay, these are the same people who told us to follow the science or God forbid, when Fauci told us he was the science. And, and like, okay. that's the thing that I can't, like, okay, then follow it. it the, the science has led us elsewhere. I'm sorry, you're still back in March, 2020. We're not there now. It's true. It's true. And, and we're, it's, a, it's a crazy world. And, you know, we're believing things that are, absolutely nonsensical who in the world wants to put pantyhose on their head <laughs> over a mask i'm thinking you guys so it's, i'm looking at that as a healthcare professional and going you got to be kidding me uh, and but honestly i wouldn't doubt if there were people that did that and i'm not faulting them for doing that i you know i understand people are going to do what they're going to do but the fact that we're relying or that we've gotten to this place it's blowing my mind. Mm -hmm. Us too. Mm. Oh yeah. Us too. Mystified oh. on a regular basis. Absolutely mm. mystified, mortified. I mean, all, all the, all the fives. I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't know. Some days we just get on here to record and we look at each other like, I, 
Can we wake <laughs> up yet? I mean, can we be done yet? Can we? Is this over? It's over. Is it over? Oh my god! It's like a bad dream. There's a comedian yeah. named John Chris that we love. It John. John tells the story on stage of where he went to Wisconsin. Back last summer, you know, when they started to think they might drop the mask mandates and he walks into his door, somebody yelled at him for not having his mask on and he yells, COVID's over, find a new cause. And, then I was like, <laughs> and I think that every day, every day. And I know, I know it's not over. It's just going to be here. It's now part of us. And so we got to move on, you know, but I want to scream at people, find a new cause. Let's go. Let's move on. Yeah. Yep. I know. Climate change. Climate change. No, that's coming. Climate oh change will be next because they got to have another everything. There's always got to be fear-based stuff mm -hmm. that, that shields us. Truly, that shields us from asking questions about anything else, right? Yep. That's, so that's that's what that will that's what the CNN producer predicted. By the way, is that climate change was next. So we're ready. We're ready. We're ready to tackle that one next. Grant, we are so thankful that you gave us all your time today and to just speak from that perspective, not just over COVID, but over decades of experience now where you can say, this is what I see, here's where my questions lie, and I can attest, you know, the average American can't, but you can attest to what you've seen, the connections, your suspicions mm -hmm. about it all, and it gives everybody food for thought, right? Like we always say, we're not telling you what to think, we're just challenging you to do it. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you so much, Brent. Yes, and thank Morgan, you. thank you for sharing our podcast with him. Yes. Right <laughs> all right, y'all, we'll see you later.